this week is a continuation of our Quebec-themed episode from last week. So if you haven't heard that one, please check it out first and enjoy part two. Thanks, everybody. Great decade. That's when I was born. Uh, Just also, you're 13, right? Yeah. Okay. But I'm always 13. I was 13 in 1970. I was 13 in 1994. <laughs> and I'm 13 today. How old are you? 13. 13. How long <laughs> have you been 13? Thousands of years. Thousands. My, my family's been here for Twilight. a long time. Uh, I never saw Dean it. is I'm a, more of a Dawn Twilight fan. head. I'm a Twihard. Twihard. There he is. So, October Crisis, we've actually talked about twice before. I will still give an overview, but it's not going to be in as painful detail. FLQ, formed in 1963, engaging in a bombing and terror campaign for the better part of seven years. In 1969, they bombed the Montreal Stock Exchange, injuring 27 people. Many key leaders of the movement have been arrested by 1970, which led to an escalation in tactics. October 1970, British Trade Minister James Cross is kidnapped in Montreal. The FLQ used him as leverage, issuing seven key demands, including the release of 23 political prisoners, a.k.a. the FLQ leadership, the broadcast of the FLQ manifesto, $500,000, and safe passage to Cuba. That's all that anyone government, wants, though, right? Yeah. Honestly, sweet. Yeah, like, that government rejects this, <laughs> as you'd imagine. Uh, they give the RCMP more permission to crack down, mostly on leftists, uh, which we talked about in the RCMP episode way back when. On October 10th, the FLQ kidnap Quebec cabinet minister Pierre Laporte from his home. On October 12th, Pierre Trudeau deploys the military to Quebec. Three days later, the government requests more assistance from the armed forces to supplement local police. Within the hour, 1,000... Uh, soldiers are deployed at key locations in Montreal. Robert Bourassa, the leader of the Quebec Liberal Party at the time, and Montreal Mayor Jean Drapeau request even further federal assistance, which eventually results in uh, Pierre Trudeau invoking the War Measures Act. You may recall the War Measures Act was also invoked in 1918 during the conscription crisis, and it is once again invoked in Quebec to handle the state of, quote, apprehended insurrection playing out throughout the province. The FLQ was outlawed, membership became a criminal act, and normal civil liberties were suspended as arrests and detentions were authorized without charge, leading to over 250 people Where's being arrested law, within 36 hours. In grade 10, we had to, we did a little, like, class debate on whether the War Measures Act was justified in that scenario. Yeah, what was your answer, remember man? remember what we said at all. Uh, um... Uh. I don't recall what my answer was. I mean, mm. probably it was not justified, I would imagine. But I just remember our history teacher uh, talking about how uh, Trudeau was, wasn't afraid to do what other politicians were, and that's what made him cool. 
Yeah, everyone talks about him like, oh, he's such yeah. a badass. Yeah, what a he big did whatever dick. he wants. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. Have you watched the interview where he says famously, yeah. just watch me? He sounds like such a little bitch. He's like such <laughs> such an asshole. He's like, well, just watch me. It's like, like it's, he would have been punched in the face if he had pulled that off like as a child. Like if this was like 1930 in the schoolyard and he's like, ah, just yeah, watch exactly. me. He would have gotten the shit kicked out of him. Anyways, on October 17th, the body of Pierre Laporte is found in the trunk of an abandoned car near the St. Hubert Airport. Famously, great chicken there. Uh, an autopsy later revealed that he had been strangled. The crisis would end in December of 1970 with the arrest of Paul Rose, Jacques Rose, and Francis Samard. You may recall in the process of arresting these three, the RCMP blew up a barn where they thought they were going to be meeting. <laughs> One of the classic RCMP blunders that led to them uh, losing most of their powers and being split off into the like, CSIS. So that's the October crisis in a nutshell. Don't want to go into a lot of detail because we've covered it before and it's been covered by everyone. So let's go to 1973. Much more interesting period of time for us. During the Quebec general election, the aforementioned Robert Bourassa, then the incumbent liberal premier of Quebec, would win re-election in the largest landslide in Quebec's history. One of the big things that he ran on was making it his mission to save the seemingly doomed 1976 Montreal Olympics, which were over budget and under on actual <laughs> infrastructure that had been built. Mm. So he's like, okay, we have three years to get our shit together, to build a stadium, and to build all these accommodations for the Olympics. So to do this, he becomes even more closely aligned with the Quebec construction industry, which you may oh, recall yeah. is insanely corrupt. Wickedly corrupt, yeah. <laughs> On March 21st, 1974, workers affiliated with the Quebec Federation of Labor rioted at the James Bay LG2 construction site. The workers used their bulldozers to smash buildings while others set buildings on fire. They did over $34 million of damage to the site. This is <laughs> Quebec excellence. That rules. This was an attempt on the part of construction union boss Andre D.D. Desjardins, central oh. figure in the Quebec biker war, he was known as the king of construction to extort more money from the province. This led to a provincial commission on construction practices, also known as the Cliche Commission, which in May of 1975 was an expose of organized system of corruption without parallel in North America. <laughs> As the commission noted, it was political corruption that had enabled the construction industry's corruption. The Montreal Gazette wrote that the Cliche Commission report was a devastating document. For some four years, the Bourassa liberal government worked hand in glove with the gangster union leadership in the province's construction industry. Now, this had little impact on the problem of corruption in Quebec's construction industry, because remember, <laughs> they are mob-affiliated. <laughs> But it did turn public opinion against hey Robert guys, Bourassa. Stop breaking the law. <laughs> We're telling you to stop. Come on. Uh, so this turned public opinion against Bourassa and the liberals, which uh, plays out in a very major way one year later in the next provincial election. <laughs> So, the 1976 general election mm -hmm. was one of the most consequential in the province's history. Bourassa's liberals, which is a classic liberal party thing to do, turned a supermajority into a 75% freefall <laughs> in seats. Oof. Robert's they, Rebellion, folks. The liberals were devastated by René Lévesque. You may recall him as being one of the members who called for nationalization of Hydro-Québec and his newly formed Parti Québécois who ran on a platform of clean government, 
so contrasting themselves with the scandal-plagued liberals, and a secondary goal. And this was their secondary goal. This was not like a major thing, but something they offered as like a, you know, a little bonus. Yeah, a little, a little something for the fans. Uh, they were going to pursue national sovereignty <laughs> from Canada. Yes, yes. Oh, that's is, a fun bonus. <laughs> that's such a funny secondary yeah. Just goal. Just like a, a fun like little callback. <laughs> So Bourassa, the premier of Quebec, would lose his own riding to a PQ challenger and disappear from provincial politics for the next decade. Everybody was like, this guy's career is fucking over. This insanely corrupt, like, liberal, elitist, like, well-educated guy who is, like, hand-in-glove with Quebec construction, loses his own seat, just, like, disappears from public life. Now, the victory of the Parti Québécois sent Ottawa into an absolute tizzy. Sorry, what so year are we at right now? 1976. Okay, cool. So, 76, Ottawa is like, fuck, this is not good. They have a liberal government led by Pierre Trudeau, who was planning on having the Quebec liberals to work with up until the whole construction scandal. And now not only did the Quebec liberals lose, but they lost to a separatist party. Sad. So, things are looking bad. Uh to make things even worse for the Federalists, the people that wanted to maintain, quote, national unity, uh, the 1979 federal election happened where Pierre Trudeau, hanging on well into the fifth year of his mandate, was not having a very good time. He was despised in the West, of course, as every liberal prime minister is. He was unpopular in Ontario. And his image had taken a bit of a hit in Quebec because of, well, calling in the military in the October crisis. <laughs> As a result, he lost to conservative leader Joe Clark in the federal election. So now we have a new prime minister, 39 years old, the youngest prime minister in Canadian history at the time, complete, like, charisma black hole. <laughs> but the good thing is, for the Parti Québécois, with Pierre Trudeau out of Ottawa, their path to an actual national separation is way easier. Because trying to pitch this when you have a French-Canadian prime minister who has still got a lot of influence in Quebec, that's difficult. But now that you're up against some, like, neophyte, Anglo-Saxon, mm -hmm. like, conservative freak, it's looking pretty good. And with this in mind, the Parti Québécois set a vote for May 20th, 1980 on national sovereignty. So a funny thing happens on the way to this vote for national sovereignty. <laughs> Prime Minister Joe Clark and the Tories miscalculate their popularity, sway, and mandate. I so thought one of the you big were things about that to happens, say miscalculated the population, just like they didn't know the number of people that live yeah. there. And I was like, that seems, you know, not that relevant. They'll still vote, but no. So Joe Clark, one of his big promises, tell me if this sounds familiar, as a conservative prime minister, is to move the Canadian embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. I didn't know Everything they were talking about this back then. <laughs> I know, 40 years ago. Damn. Uh, so Joe Clark sticks to that promise, which of course means a lot of Arab nations in the area are fucking pissed. They're like, what the fuck? And things are further complicated by the 1979 Iranian Revolution, which is a whole other kettle of fish. Basically, there's limited crude oil coming in, which contributes to a struggling economy. The conservatives trying to right the ship pose a tax-heavy budget where they're like, okay, we need to start taxing people so we can make up. We don't want to run a deficit. They try to put this budget through parliament and they lose, which results in a no-confidence <laughs> vote, which they also lose. <laughs> so less than like eight months after being – not even, like six months after being prime minister, Joe Clark has to go back to the election campaign 
And the liberals, who at this time don't have a leader, go to Pierre Trudeau and say, please, will you please run the Liberal Party for this election? Wow. Which he agrees to do. What happens? The liberals gain 4% of the popular vote and take 74 out of 75 seats in Quebec. Wow. They manage to scape together by like six seats, a minority government. A Trudeau running a minority government six months after. By the skin of his teeth. Yeah. (laughs) Makes you think. So Joe Clark loses, but more importantly for our story, Rene Levesque loses because now he has to try and push through national sovereignty against Pierre Trudeau. And of course, things don't go great. The plan for sovereignty association is rejected by 59% of votes cast in Quebec, with a participation rate of 85%. So basically, 50% of all Francophone voters vote yes for sovereignty, which is a pretty high number, but it's not enough to actually get it going. And one of the reasons that people associate with this failed vote is a comment made by Lisa Payette, who is a minister of state for the Parti Québécois, specifically for the status of women, in a speech at the National Assembly on International Women's Day, which I didn't know they had back then. (laughs) I kind of figured that was a more recent thing. Uh, She decreed the stereotypical character of Yvette, who still appeared in Quebec's elementary school readers, as a good little girl who helps around the house. So she's like, it's fucked up that we have these, like, gender norms from, like, the 1950s still in our education system. Mm -hmm. So at a partisan meeting the following day, Payette said that Claude Ryan, the leader of the no camp, so the people who wanted to maintain national uh, federalism, uh, that women who wanted to remain were Yvette's and that she insulted his wife by saying that he was married to one. So she's like, oh, your wife is like this gender stereotype. I feel That's like bad. International Women's Day back then was just being like, reminder, women exist. Women exist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also maybe if we could be seen as something other than housewives and everyone was like, no. You can also so, be babysitters. <laughs> get this, folks. The liberals try to capitalize on this by holding... The Brunch de Yvette in Quebec City. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Okay. Yeah. 15,000 female supporters of this campaign show up, all of, the, all of whom are voting no on national sovereignty. The Yvette movement may very well deserve credit for reversing the initial trend that showed 47% in favor of the yes option. So, so sorry, wait a minute. Yes is to leave Canada. Yeah. No is to stay in Canada. Yeah, and, like, a lot of, like, women were, like, all, 47% of all women were in favor of yes. So, and then afterwards, those But the Yvette shit. supporters, mm-hmm. the people that like the little housewife lady, wanted yeah. to leave or stay? They, they want to stay. Oh. Yeah, now they want to stay. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Anyways, in the days following the referendum, the Parti Québécois reaffirmed that sovereignty is the, quote, only viable option for Quebec, and they would one day win majority support, saying, if I have understood you correctly, you are telling us, until next time. In April 1981, despite the loss in the referendum, the PQ are re-elected with 80 seats in the Assembly, 49% of votes, which is an 8% increase. In September 1984, switching to the federal level, Brian Mulroney is elected prime minister. There's more discussions between Quebec and Canada about, you know, are we going to stick around? You know, Quebec is essentially trying to use this reality of potential separation for political leverage. But because Rene Levesque is talking to the conservatives and like this Anglophone conservative leader or not Anglophone, but like this conservative leader who is seen as not really being somebody who has Quebec's best interests in mind. Uh, it's seen as a betrayal by members of the Parti Québécois, six of whom cross uh, the aisle and 
join the various liberal and conservative parties. So the Parti Québécois is starting to weaken in the run-up to the 1985 provincial election, where Daniel Johnson Jr., the son of Union National leader Daniel Johnson Sr., takes a leadership role for the Parti Québécois. So wait, are you, are you telling me that Daniel Johnson Sr. got married and had a kid? Yeah, Daniel so, Johnson Jr. So true love <laughs> did find him in the end. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. So the, for, the son of the leader of the Union Nationale becomes the leader of the Parti Québécois. Daniel Johnson Jr., remember that name. He's going to pop up a few times. So with a new leader after René Lévesque resigns following you know, accusations that he's betrayed the movement, essentially, Daniel Johnson Jr. takes over and he loses the 1985 election to Robert Bourassa and the Liberal Party. <laughs> Don't call it a comeback. Robert Barassa, the party leader, failed to win his own riding and would have to be elected in a special by-election in a safer district. <laughs> How did he win? Now, now it's at, this is Robert Baratheon's <laughs> rebellion, folks. This is what we're Literally, like, one of the least popular, like, most hated, most corrupt figures in Quebec's recent history somehow becomes the leader of the Liberal Party again, which is a very Liberal Party move, and is almost almost fucks it up. So they have to literally move him to like a hard red district to him for him to get elected. Also worth noting, the Union Nationale ran 19 candidates in 1985 with zero winning. They would be formally dissolved in 1989. <laughs> Burn brightly, fade away. <laughs> In June 1987, we see the Meech Lake Accord proposed, which was going to recognize Quebec as a distinct society. Essentially, this is all stuff that's trying to appease Quebec without bringing them back towards separatism. The Meech Lake Accords are not very popular with especially the Quebec nationalists. This leads to a splinter within Quebec and the formation of a federal party called the Bloc Québécois. Look at that. They unite under the leadership of Lucien Bouchard. Bouchard worked underneath Mulroney as a cabinet member, and he was a staunch supporter of the yes side in the 1980 referendum. So this is like a dyed-in-the-wool separatist taking over a federal party based entirely around Quebec separatism. It's funny that they are a federal party considering they don't have candidates anywhere but Quebec. I just thought that was interesting. Robert Bourassa would win re-election in 1989, somehow, but the Parti Québécois started to gain back some of the seats they had lost under the new leader, Jacques Parizeau. Parizeau and Bouchard are going to be like the two prime kind of guys for the next uh, 1995 referendum. In the meantime, though, in 1992, talks resumed between Canada and Quebec with the Charlottetown Accords. Once again, this is an attempt to try and bridge that gap and avoid separatism. They'd end up not passing being opposed by both the Bloc Québécois and the Parti Québécois. So we're at an impasse. Brian Mulroney is voted out of office in 1993. This time, though, he's replaced by Liberal Party leader Jacques Chrétien. <laughs> One of the best. Here we go, baby. Wow. Another name I at least recognize. <laughs> <laughs> so 1993, Mulroney out, Chrétien in. 1994, Quebec general election, which results in a sweeping win for the Parti Québécois. So now, here's the stage. We have a referendum coming up, supported by a federal party, the Bloc Québécois, and the provincial one. Much like in 1980, chances of negotiating Quebec's sovereignty would now have to go through a well-liked, well-entrenched member of Québécois political machinery. This time, it's Jean Chrétien, not Pierre Trudeau. But unlike 1980, the separatist cause is aided by the federal Bloc Québécois, who in 1994 formed the official opposition with 54 seats. 
1994, the official opposition party for Canada was one that only ran candidates in Quebec on a policy of leaving Canada. That is helpful, though. That's, really <laughs> That's <funny>. so sick. <laughs> Lucien Bouchard, the leader of the Bloc Québécois, works with Jacques Parizeau to flesh out terms of sovereignty. However, during this time, Lucien Bouchard contracts necrotizing fascia, which is a skin and, like, basically, like, limb-eating infection. That sounds very gross. Uh, Do not sorry look it for up. him. That sucks. It's horrible. <laughs> Basically, your his leg rotted away, and he had to have his leg amputated. Good lord, not pleasant. also Bouchard and Parizeau, though they both agree that separatism is best for Quebec. Uh, they kind of differ on what that should look like. Essentially, Lucien Bouchard felt it was necessary to retain trade ties and a quote special partnership with Canada, whereas Jacques Parizeau said, "Well, if we leave that on the table, Canada's going to use it as leverage against us and just not recognize our sovereignty." So economic issues are the big kind of divide between the two of them. But Jacques Parizeau eventually gets cucked. He's completely like his his proposal is just completely thrown away. People are like, oh, we like Lucien Bouchard's much more. And he's like a much more charismatic and beloved figure. So they go with his plan of negotiating separatism, but keeping trade relations with Canada. Now that they have their roadmap set, they schedule a referendum originally for spring 1995, but it gets delayed until October 30th, 1995. And this is the question that they pose in the referendum. This is incredibly weird wording, but this is how it is. Do you agree that Quebec should become sovereign after having made a formal offer to Canada for a new economic and political partnership within the scope of the bill respecting the future of Quebec and the I remember, agreement signed 12th um, of June, 1995? learning about this in history class and <laughs> the whole topic was around like the idea of a like a charged question or like a loaded question. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But essentially it was boiled down in the media of saying mm-hmm. no is opposed to separation, yes is in favor. So... At the beginning of the campaign, the so-called no side opposed to separation had a substantial lead in the polls. But as the campaign progressed, and particularly when Lucien Bouchard took over leadership of the yes campaign from Parizeau, the yes side gained momentum. So one of the big proponents of the no separation is Daniel Johnson Jr., Hell yeah. the leader of the Quebec Liberal Party. Hmm. DJJ sticking around, and he was shocked that uh, Perizo stepped aside for Bouchard. He thought that there was like some kind of coup that had happened. It's like, there's <laughs> no way this guy would give up power. So like the liberals were just once again, fixated on an imagined coup that didn't really happen. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Really set the stage for the future there. <laughs> so as we approach the referendum, uh, the no campaign starts to get extremely worried, seeing that the yes side are really gaining momentum and gaining a lot of support. The no campaign brings out the big guns, recruiting then-U.S. President Bill Clinton to deliver a short address about the economic benefits of trade with a united Canada just a few days before the vote. Essentially saying, like, we love Canada, this is a great country you've got. Jesse. You promised there were no pedophiles in this episode. Damn it, that's right. I forgot about Bill Clinton. God damn it. That was last episode. This is maybe cutting two. Okay, true, true, true. Or uh, I could also just say the Catholic Church, so we were immediately... Oh, yeah, we had them, too. Damn it. I forgot. Uh, Anyways, Bill Clinton is like, 
It's so funny to think that Bill Clinton had to, like, step in on the issue of Quebec sovereignty. I also find it interesting. I know there are lots of people like this, but not knowing which way you're going to vote on such a massive issue until two days before the vote. Yeah. That's wild. And you're like, I will be swayed by Bill Clinton talking to me about trade. Like, OK. It's like, it's like Brexit. Like, so many people were just like, yeah, let's see what happens. So I'm going to see who has the best Facebook campaign videos before I decide anything. And much like with Brexit, using, like, celebrities and other political figures to appeal to people didn't really do that much in the long run. People didn't really care that Bill Clinton, some, like, Arkansas pig fucker, like, came on their screens to uh, tell them about <laughs> the benefits of federalism. <laughs> if there was, like, if Lin-Manuel Miranda existed at this time, man, would we have seen the most, oh, like, obnoxious multilingual rap. We need a Quebec Lin-Manuel Miranda who... No, they, they have all been bullied to death. The only, like, directors I know are, like, Xavier Dolan well, and Villeneuve, but both of them seem normal. <laughs> I, I have a proposition. Yes. Uh, I considered uh, talking at length about uh, Félix Leclerc, uh, who was a uh, really influential French-Canadian singer-songwriter, poet, uh, and uh, Quebecois political activist. Uh, but then I figured... I'll do you a turn better. I'll talk about a different Felix. Uh, Felix Langiel? Langiel? Also known as XQC. Uh, oh. He is a uh, Twitch streamer. He's yeah, a he pro is. gamer. Uh, he's an internet per personality. Former professional Overwatch player. Uh, he has been banned from uh, Overwatch Blizzard servers uh, multiple times. For being, you know, uh, quote unquote toxic, you know, I would just say that's French Canadian culture. Uh, but yeah, uh, he. Uh, this is a pretty good uh, one. Uh, he was permanently banned from League, League of Legends servers for being <laughs> quote extremely inflammatory and offensive in the in-game chat. He is among the 0.006% of League of Legends players negative enough to receive a permanent ban. Oh, my God. <laughs> what was he doing? Was he, Do you, I thought you were going to say he was, like, advocating for Quebec nationalism. <laughs> no, I wish. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, like, you, I can't even imagine how hard it is to get permabanned from League. He has also been banned from Twitch three times. One time for uh, streaming a satirically explicit video where pornographic scenes were edited oh. to appear safe for work. Uh, okay. He was banned uh, again a year later for showing nudity in an adult-themed game based on Connect 4. The NPC <laughs> took her clothes oh. off after XQC yeah. won a game of Connect 4 against her. Uh, and then six months after that, he was banned again for seven days. For stream sniping, which uh, oh yeah, that was during a Fall Guys uh, tournament. A great deal. How do you know that? <laughs> I got the guy who got sniped. sniped. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I still don't know what it means. Before like online playing, if you wanted to cheat, you would just look at the other person's side and see where they are. So now people do it with streaming. So if I'm uh, playing a game, true. I can just pull up someone's stream to find out where they are in that game if they're playing the same game as me. Yeah. Oh, like yes. a multiplayer game, if it's, like, online. Yes, yeah. exactly. And then you go and fuck with them or something. That's right. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't seem like that big of a crime, but maybe to gamers it's, like, bad. Um, this guy sounds like a genuine, like, a pervert. Like, I, I feel like the word pervert is not used for many people, but if there's going to be a guy that's a perv, sounds like him. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> no comment. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Megan the does watch. Juicers are his followers. She's a major juice head. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I like how you guys are like, like how do you know these things? These guys like the biggest Twitch streamer on earth. Genuinely. Wow. I'm what? not lying to you. Yeah, he has the it's highest subscriber count. He's no... Yes. Uh, yes. Really? What? For him. French Canadian wow. excellence. He should be... Honestly, if he were to lead the resurgent Quebec nationalist movement, <laughs> they might win. It's not a bad horse to bet on. He does... His name is XQC because of Quebec. Uh, QC oh, representing yeah, it, Quebec. It says okay, so that's pretty high. Subscribe to Twitch streamer. Damn. Yeah, that's what's really more fake high. news from Chance. Another yeah. Canadian is above him. Michael Grzyk. Where's Where's Pokemane? Polish Yet Canadian another Michael. Streamer. We love our Michaels, folks. Our third Michael. <laughs> so we're getting to a point now where it's right down to the wire. Three, like Jean Chrétien goes on TV on October 25th and extols the virtues of federalism. Blah, blah, blah. Boring shit. Let's get to the money. October 27th, 1995, a unity rally, that's their term, is held in downtown Montreal. The event is coordinated by the No campaign and was attended by, and estimates vary, either 60,000 to 100,000 people. Wow. The event was coordinated by the Liberal Party, well, members of the Liberal Party in the No campaign, including Aurel Gervais, who is the communications director for the Liberal Party, as well as student associates from Ottawa's Algonquin College, both of whom would be charged after the referendum for illegally hiring buses to bring supporters to Montreal for the rally. You know So essentially, they were busing people. (laughs) They were busing, and this was a false flag operation. You never hear of college students being the student activists in things, so go these people. I yeah. already forgot what their opinion was, but they they wanted no, no, no separate. All separation. right, go them. <laughs> so nice. Robin Philpot, who helped write the book Les Secrets d'Option Canada, said that Brian Tobin, chief organizer for the rally, told him that various Canadian corporations had helped fund the uh, initiative. So the Unity Rally. Two days prior, two days prior to the rally, Canadian Airlines had announced that its Unity Fare up to ninety percent discounts for people who wanted to purchase tickets from anywhere in Canada. With the implied thing being, go to Montreal. Canadian Quebec's chief Airlines. I know. To like, have that. Yeah, Quebec. Chief Electoral Officer Pierre Cote issued a warning to six Canadian transport companies, including Air Canada, Canadian Airlines, and Via Rail, they would face up to a $10,000 fine for any money spent illegally transporting people to Montreal for the rally. Hmm. So Illegally essence, transporting? Yeah, it's for the rally. It's like if, if the people come on your plane and show up at the rally, you are found guilty of right. transporting them illegally, which is a baller move and insane. <laughs> but like you could tell, like the liberals are doing what the liberals do, which is pumping millions of dollars into this to try and avoid catastrophe. And what ends up happening is on October 30th, 1995, with a 93.5 percent turnout, five million eighty-seven thousand and nine registered Quebec voters vote in the yes/no referendum, the highest turnout for any provincial or federal election in Canada's history. The proposal ended up with, and here's the splits, yes, receiving 49.42% of the votes, and no, receiving 40.58%. They I can't won, believe how so close that is. That's so That wild. is a difference of 54,000 votes, making the difference between separation and, quote, national unity. Now, it's worth noting 
86,000 ballots were ruled invalid for a variety of reasons. However, an inquiry was held and concluded that, yes, some ballots had been rejected without valid reasons, but the incidents were isolated and that the majority of the rejected ballots were actually no votes. So even if they had all been counted, it likely wouldn't have made that difference. Mm. But still, makes you go, hmm. I wonder why they were rejected. That's weird. I don't know. Some of them were, like, incorrect like placement of you know signatures and it, it's like yeah. it's all sorts wine of stains on the ballot yeah <laughs> some guy just wrote a slur a hundred times i guess like literally to run elections they just get like any schmuck so i feel like people just accidentally throw stuff out all the time of course Bad. now it's worth noting that following the narrow victory the Chrétien government established a pro-Canada advertising campaign with the aim being to sponsor hunting, fishing, and other recreational events within Quebec. What this ends up leading to is the sponsorship scandal, which sinks the Liberal government in 2004, one of the biggest scandals in Canadian history. Wait, so is this Mm -hmm. a campaign to get other Canadians to come, like, spend money in Quebec? Essentially, the agreement was, like, we are going to help protect federalism and in exchange we are then going to juice your tourism industry and to help you guys set that up here are millions of dollars much of which would just be misappropriated mismanaged and spent on all sorts of things (laughs) i i understand the like you know putting money towards tourism thing but it is funny that the tourism they sponsored was like everyone come and kill all our deer and fish and then leave just take our natural resources that's a funny version of tourism but it's worth noting that this essentially the quote from Bloc Quebecois leader Gilles Duceppe argues that Canada was trying to buy federalism and using it as an excuse to channel dirty money into liberal friendly pockets which is true they were caught doing exactly that but about 10 years too late (laughs) bread sandwich for everyone it's so quebec came about fifty-four thousand votes away from negotiating a recognized national sovereignty and if it wasn't for the intervention of jean chrétien and the millions of dollars he spent on maintaining federalism that same amount that would end up costing the liberals in 2006 specifically so in many ways quebec federal or federalism and quebec sovereignty brought us stephen harper Thank you so much for yep. that, guys. The birdaboo. It's uh, kind of crazy to think how Quebec's national identity was created and then how much of a role that this national identity had on broader Canadian politics. Like, and still you guys, has. but like, especially in the 90s and the early 2000s, like, you needed to have, if you wanted to win, a French Canadian leader, essentially. It's like the Liberals would only run guys from like the Pierre Trudeau mold and the Pierre Trudeau political machine because Quebec was such an essential part of having this mandate. It's like basically Quebec dominated all of Canadian politics and we haven't seen anything like that since. And now, of course, you do have the Wexit movement, but the Wexit movement does not succeed, partially because they don't have anywhere near the same bonds to unify the movement that Quebec nationalism. Well, yeah, no, like the, the Wexit movement is like based primarily on I just want to do whatever I want to do all the time. It's like exactly. it is, it is hyper individualist. There, there is no collective identity and to really there, empower them there. Like a culture in Alberta, like there is. No, there, it's a cultural void. You know, yeah. like we've been having our fun with Quebec, but like they do have a culture. You can identify them as a people, as a they have a language. Albertans. Yeah. Well, they're technically like, a nation now. 
as they like yeah. to say a lot. So it's a distinct sense. society. Yeah. And it's like if you're wondering, oh, why hasn't Wexit taken hold, even though we are seeing like this right wing rise and like populism and backlash, especially in the face of, well, COVID-19, it's because there actually is no heart and soul to the Wexit movement. There is nothing beneath the veneer. It's no, just it's completely just culture hollow. War, yeah. Exactly. Whereas Quebec, of course, it was also culture war, and Quebec still has culture war going on to this very day. But there was something legitimate underneath all of the flashing. Like, it is an actual movement that had wants, goals, and a clear end game at that. And a lot of the movement was inspired, at least the way they say it, from the anti-imperialist, like, liberatory movements of the time. And we're, uh-huh. we're speaking a lot in was, but... Could literally like happen again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like yeah, uh, dear Quebecois listeners, I do not blame you for trying to leave us. I, oh, I, absolutely. Uh, wish you wouldn't, because I do love uh, talking about you and having you around and whatnot, and eating your delicious delicacies of pizza getty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you do have to leave, uh, you know, I sad to see you go. You mm-hmm. know. And for what it's worth, like, the Bloc Québécois did make a bit of a comeback after a couple years, especially, like, in 2015 when the Liberals won their major majority. Like, the Bloc Québécois was, for all intents and purposes, dead in the water. But they are making a comeback. And I think we're going to get to a point where every province should just separate from Canada. I have made it clear that I believe Ontario will join the United States. We are going to see hashtag Antusa. Aunt USA. We adopted all the same guidelines they did when it came to COVID. Uh, We're I have be Great no Lakes doubt. country, and they are going to invade us to take the water anyway. So Ontario will become a member of the United States of America. But I'm We're saying America's going to split too. So we're yeah, just going to take like, Michigan. Yeah, the Great Lakes Federation yeah. will rise for sure. Unknown no, no, how you know Indigenous groups fighting with the Crown would take everybody splitting into many groups, but you know could be an interesting. <laughs> Fun new battle zone. So it's like it's like playing risk. We'll see you know? the Great Lakes shogunate. <laughs> the no factions are it. breaking, and then we. <laughs> I don't know how to play risk. Yeah, honestly, countries high key. Great, great Lakes shogunate. No where where is the Kyoto? But great, like Great Lakes thing would involve Quebec. They live there too, so that would be yeah. us plus. Yeah, that's where the oh, that's where Kyoto. Yeah, Quebec has Quebec has the most powerful warrior culture. They have all the MMA guys in Canada, so they would very <laughs> clearly be like the military capital of the Great Lakes Shogunate, at least yeah. the northern branch. I would take a Quebecois guy against like anybody. Yeah, else. any Michigander, Probably any Illinois punk. Yeah. Oh, especially Illinois. Like Michigan, maybe it depends upper or lower peninsula. But they they don't have. Yeah, and, like, they don't have any kind of COVID mandates there, so they're all weak and sickly, whereas Quebec is literally in lockdown yeah. and curfew. No, I, I can tell, like, the, the Nobunaga of our time will be, uh, <laughs> I was going to say Felix Lankiel. Excuse me. Oh, that's Hell true. Hell yeah, baby. That's true. He does certainly have a built-in, Yeah. So you never know. Maybe we will see a resurgent Quebec nationalist movement. It certainly isn't as well insulated as it was especially in 1995 so, i like but, quebec because <laughs> they give us you know good food they have a fun music festival it's nice to go there and also they make all the federal leaders learn french some of whom are very bad at it yeah and, and then it's cool. very funny so yeah. thanks for that alberta you have misplaced rage at who really runs Canada. <laughs> it's not ontario That's you're true. angry with you are angry with <laughs> quebec 
And I, for one, support the on the Quebec Alberta I brewing like civil war. Oh, wow. I think that is brothers, brothers against uncles. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh no! That is drunk drivers against well, also drunk. The battleground will have to be Manitoba. They'd fight over the Manitoba. Great Lakes. <laughs> yeah. No, that's what they deserve. <laughs> That's yeah. going to be awesome. I can't wait. 2025 is going to be so lit. The one bit of history that I'd like to share with you mm-hmm. uh, is the, the Carnival de Quebec. So <laughs> I every- love your accent. Your French accent is so fun. Thank you. Keep doing it, please. Uh, every year, uh, driven by the shortening days of winter, uh, Quebecois people gather in Quebec City to celebrate their yeah. Carnival de Quebec. <laughs> uh, scientists believe that the Quebec... Quebecois find their way uh, there by attuning to the Earth's magnetic field. Uh, the carnival is held in honor of their pagan de- deity, Bon Hom. Uh, Don't say Bon Hom. Oh my god. That's how it's pronounced. Bon- <laughs> exactly. He's an anthropomorphic snow creature that is basically indistinguishable from the Pillsbury Doughboy. Uh, the mayor presents the ice god with the keys to the city. Uh, to affirm Bonhams' uh, total domination uh, over their population. And then the festivities begin. Uh, it is rumored that good children who perform well at the winter sports will receive a gift from Bonham, a single cigarette. <laughs> Loose dart, baby. <laughs> and I think, like, it's Worth these beautiful traditions that, like, separate Quebec uh, and, like, prove that they are, like, a culture and a people all their own. You're really an anthropologist. That Thank that's, you. That's crazy. I don't know if I, I will ever get I don't get think I'll ever get over home, the way that Dean pronounces <laughs> Quebec. What? Do I say it wrong? <laughs> There's a Q in Don front. Cherry it's, Quebec. It's, it's Quebec. <laughs> Quebec. It's okay. Oh. Nope. <laughs> Quebecistan. <laughs> that's well, a power. Well, no, thing. that's All a whole right. other thing. <laughs> No, that, Dean, you will get canceled. Barbara Kay lost her national post job because of that. If you're too racist for the national post Wait, people have actually said Quebecistan to be racist? Oh, Megan. Oh, no. Oh, I thought it was going to be I, like a... What, one day we will cover... I wasn't being racist, though. I thought it was going to be like a Chirac a thing. reference. So oh, I'm actually a cool poster. That's, yeah. <laughs> what, we will touch on the Quebec. I would love to do the, uh, the hijab That is a loaded too. content and for, controversy for, in and of itself. Yeah, for two hours we and it is related about to that. Quebec racism. What a bliss! <laughs> and in two, two hours, hours people came hand no. in hand. Um, no, Ontario and Quebec, <laughs> lovingly forgetting their racist past. At the end of the day, shout out to like the six Quebec politicians <laughs> yeah. that were involved. In <laughs> Literally six guys. That's Robert Barassa, the Dan, the two Daniels, Johnson Senior and Johnson Junior. Rene Levesque, Lucien Bouchard, Jacques Perizzo, six men bonded by one oh, yeah. key tenant, that of Quebecellence. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next Bye-bye. week. Bye. Bonjour. Wait, uh, au revoir. Or, or whore divorce. <laughs> <laughs>